A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Get in the long team with a bunch of demons. Really believe that human beings are demons. No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. <laughs> well, there's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. <laughs> really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God by faith in His Son. <laughs> Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. <laughs> Right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. So put your trust in the sovereign king, who doesn't owe you one cotton picking thing. And yet he still promises to furnish his disciples, but we take what he's created and we turn him into idols. I'll never back down, so how can I keep it in? But you'll never see me preaching the sin of TBM. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Master's Dog, episode 71. I am your host, the Evangelical Norm. So the Master's Dog podcast where I deal with false teachers across the board started out just dealing with uh, Mormons and the Saints Unscripted Faith and Beliefs segment of their podcast. And then recently, over the last five months or so, we've expanded it out to um, just all kinds of false teachers, whether they're pseudo-Christian, heretical Christian, not nowhere near Christian, secular, atheist, you name it, we deal with them here and um, try to bring back a, <clears throat> a biblical Christian worldview answer to the um, garbage <laughs> that they spew, put it, put it lightly. So, Today we are back with our, our buddy David Snell from Saints Unscripted and Faith and Beliefs. Um, and this is actually, I think, just a, a kind of a, a stepping off from, I think, last week or the week before, where uh, we talked about the Zohar and whether or not Noah had a shiny Jaredite-style uh, stone in the ark or what the Zohar was and, and so on. So... 
today, um, David is continuing on with the Zohar, and um, we'll get into some of his stuff as the video plays, and he starts talking about where this information is coming from, we'll hit it, but then we also get to see why none of this really matters anyway. So, all that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this week's video with David Snell from Saints, and Unscri Saints Unscripted, Faith and Beliefs, uh, Joseph Smith's Steer Seer Stones, and the Ancient Jewish Mysticism. Okay guys, so we've done one other Faith and Beliefs episode about Seer Stones. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Now a lot of people are concerned about the fact that Joseph Smith used the Seer Stone to translate the Book of Mormon. People just think it's weird, which I totally get. In this episode, I just wanted to share some of the things I've been learning related to Seer Stones, but I want you to understand that these are just observations, it's not doctrine by any means, and not something you're going to hear in Sunday school. So with that preface, let's jump in. So there's your disclaimer. Well, this isn't really doctrine, this is just me trying to convince you of something uh, and we're not going to mention that it's not doctrine, but I'm not going to. And, and so, again, here it's it's the backing down of, well, I can't really say this is actual doctrine and so on and so forth and blah, 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 blah. Another thing in that little segment that I want to address, uh, a lot of people are concerned with the fact that Joseph Smith used a steer stone, a seer stone in. Yes, I mean, that's weird to put a, a rock in a hat and your face in the hat and then start reading words off the rock that's in the hat and so on, that's concerning in and of itself. What is really, really concerning is the fact that the LDS church lied about it for well over a hundred years and tried to just convince us through imagery and pictures and stuff like that, that Joseph was just sitting there looking at the plates because we see the pictures of him of him just looking through the plates and you know Oliver over there just dutifully writing away so that's the bigger problem here um I mean okay seer stones are, are are dumb and it falls into the just the lack of credibility of the the whole LDS faith as a the LDS faith as a whole I'll get learn how to talk here in the next couple episodes um, but it really is the fact that it was lied about, covered up, not put out there. And then with the advent of the internet, suddenly you have to start backpedaling and defending this stuff and so on. And so we get to where we are today. All right, guys. So just keeping it real, keeping it real. The Bible is full of examples of prophets practicing folk magic and divination. Joseph of Egypt practiced hydromancy with his divining cup. The apostles practiced claromancy by casting lots to determine who Judas's replacement should be. Most scholars believe the Urim and Thummim to be two sticks or stones, perhaps precious stones, that God used in a miraculous way to reveal his will, which certainly sounds like divination. Okay, here's a problem with that. Deuteronomy 18 expressly forbids divination and all kinds of witchcraft and sorcery and so on. So no, the apostles did not uh, practice claromancy when they cast lots any more than the BYU uh, cougars are practicing claromancy when they flip a coin to see who receives and who kicks off. 
literally is, you know, they understood that God is sovereign in those things. And so by casting lots, flipping a coin, whatever, they recognized that God was going to be able to present his uh, will in that situation, not by claromancy, by God's divine revelation through that means of casting lots. Joseph the divination, and we'll get there in a minute. Be, again, he's going to talk about this, but whether or not Joseph practiced divination, Joseph was per- portraying himself where this this cup is mentioned in Genesis forty four, I believe. Um, uh, I, he mentions the the verse here, here in a little bit, and I think that's what it is, Genesis forty four. But he's he's trying to to fool his brothers into thinking he's nothing more than a, uh, you know, a, uh, Egyptian official. And the fact that he is a high ranking Egyptian official, and he has this symbol of this, this cup, this symbol of, of authority. Um, likely they thought he was practicing divination. He allowed his brothers to continue to, to believe that, but there's nothing that actually says Joseph practiced divination and uh, or anything else or what hydromancy is what he called it, right? Nothing scripturally dictates or even indicates or even hints to the fact that Joseph was practicing any kind of hydromancy. Not like it sounds. Uh, it's exactly how it sounds. But we do this weird thing where if it happens in the Bible, it's a miraculous revelation from God. But if the same thing happens somewhere else, it's all lies, blasphemy, dark magic, and dabbling in the occult. Oh, come on. It's just a bunch of hocus pocus. Well, again, when we look at the fact that the Bible forbids sorcery, divination, and so on, and we see that God is... And again, two of your um, uh, examples are just absolute lies. The fact that Joseph practiced hydromancy is a lie. There's nothing to support that. The fact that the others practice divination through the Urim and Thummim or so on, nothing is indicated of that biblically, scripturally at all. So that's a lie. And you're twisting what happened with the apostles choosing uh, Judas's replacement into making it out to be an occult thing when it's not. Really, these are just terms with negative connotations some religious people employ to discredit religious traditions they don't believe in. You desecrate the house of God! Except when it happens in the Bible. It's heavily ironic and oftentimes just a tad bit hypocritical. So it's important to remember that... No, it's not. ...that context when approaching this subject. But today I really wanted to talk about some ancient Jewish extra-biblical mysticism about the story of a glowing stone or jewel called in Hebrew a Sohar. You might remember we talked about this in a recent episode as it applied to Noah's Ark, so check that out if you haven't. But to learn more about this legend, we're gonna tap into a book by non-Latter-day Saint author Howard Schwartz. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying this legend is true. It may be fact, fiction, or a mixture of both. I just think the connections we can draw from it are pretty cool. So that's pretty cool. So according to- So you just said, extra biblical Jewish mysticism. So, and then, then again, you give the disclaimer, well, this might not really be true, but here we go. We're going to take a bunch of untrue stuff that we can't prove that's extra biblical, that's mysticism and so on. 
and we're going to use it to prove the stuff that is heretical and false about uh, LDS doctrine. Okay. I mean, at best, what you can do is prove that LDS doctrine is uh, mysticism and extra-biblical and, uh, yeah. According to the legend, the original Sohar was a glowing jewel that Adam received from an angel when he and Eve left the Garden of Eden, which was passed down from generation to generation. Eventually, Enoch inherits it. And check this out. Enoch peered deeply into the jewel and saw that the flame burning in it formed itself into Hebrew letters. And by reading those letters, he was able to read the celestial Torah, which was imprinted in the flame of that glowing jewel. Eventually, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob inherit the stone. Jacob gives it to his son, Joseph. The miracle child. Now, when Jacob gave it to Joseph, the stone was dark, and Jacob did not reveal its power, for he wanted Joseph to discover this for himself. And because Joseph's brothers did not know how precious the stone was, they did not take it from Joseph when they stripped him of the coat of many colors and cast him into the dark pit. As legend has it, this dark pit was a well, and in the darkness, light came from the stone. Eventually, Joseph is found by Midianites and sold into Egypt. At some point, Joseph obtains his divining cup, which we reference. That's not even true. It wasn't that he was found by Midianites. They came through. His brother said, hey, here's a way that we can get away with not killing our brother. Let's sell him to them. And it's not like they found him because this light was shining out of the well. None of that anywhere is in the Bible at all. I mean, this stuff by this Howard Schwartz guy, I mean, I, I tried to research him and try, I can't find anything of this stuff. The book itself is like 30 some bucks on, on Amazon or whatever, and I'm not going to go pay that to, to read this guy's book to find out, but I'm trying to do research. I don't, you can't find what ancient rabbinical writings he's, he's translating or retelling or any of those things. I can't find any of that. For all I know, this dude f found out about Joseph Smith and used it to his advantage to, to retrograde or retro to go back and, and come up with some ancient Jewish mysticism, blah, 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 blah. Because again, when you look for this stuff, it only takes you to one one place, Howard Schwartz. There is absolutely that I can find. Now, you can re correct me if I'm wrong, but in the time I took looking through the internet, trying to find anything else about this Zohar glowing stone, it goes nowhere. There's one source, Howard Schwartz. So it might as well be that this dude made it all up, and he may have made it up from reading about Mormonism, Jaredites, and, and so on. So again, the only, uh, the only one place that you find any of this stuff that he is saying, it, and it supposedly it comes from ancient rabbinical writings and midrash and and mysticism and, and so on, fairy tales, but you can't find any of that anywhere else. So again, I mean, if somebody wants to show me where I'm wrong and send me some of that stuff, I'd be happy to to look into it. But at this point. It really, there, there's one source, and it's a really, really weak source. ...referenced earlier in this video, and as the story goes, Joseph placed the glowing stone of the Sohar inside his silver cup, and discovered that by peering into it, 
he could read the future and interpret dreams. That is how he interpreted the dreams of the butler and baker, and later the dreams of Pharaoh that prophesied the seven years of famine. No. When he, he was in prison when he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker. Didn't have a cup, didn't have a stone. When he was just taken out of prison when he interpreted the dreams of the Pharaoh. Didn't have a cup, didn't have a stone. Nowhere is this biblical. Again, this is, this is the imaginations, as far as I can tell, of one man, Mr. Howard Schwartz. It was that same cup that Joseph hid in the saddlebags of Benjamin, about which his servant said, Is this not the cup from which our master drinketh, and with which he divineth? Genesis 45. Okay, so did anything in that story sound familiar? Doesn't this seem familiar? I don't know. Why? We have the story of Enoch peering into the stone and reading scripture from it. I don't know. Doesn't it just kind of ring a bell? Not scripture. Ancient celestial book. That's not scripture. Doesn't say that it was scripture. It was a celestial book. Yes! Joseph of Egypt discovers that the stone shines in darkness and would put the stone in his cup and then look into it to receive revelation. This is all seeming very familiar. Compare all this stuff to David Whitmer's description of Joseph Smith's seer stone. Joseph Smith put the seer stone into a hat and put his face in the hat, drawing it closely around his face to exclude the light. And in the darkness, the spiritual light would shine. A piece of something resembling parchment would appear and on... Spiritual light would shine. So there's no light, actual light shining out around the, his face in the hat. It was a spiritual light because you couldn't see any other light. So that, for, that foregoes the possibility of it being a shining stone that lit up jo or Noah's ark and um, lit up uh, Joseph's whale and blah, 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 blah. And that appeared the writing. The connection between Joseph Smith and Joseph of Egypt is fascinating. For example, in 2 Nephi 3, we read that among Joseph of Egypt's descendants would be a choice seer whose name would also be Joseph. If that prophecy refers to Joseph Smith, Joseph and Joseph have many things in common. Same name, same lineage, both seers, and coincidentally, Joseph Smith even discovered his chocolate-colored seer stone while digging a well. Similar. You really, really going to try to convince somebody that Joseph Smith is descended from Joseph... Uh, <laughs> Israel's son, Joseph. Really? Are, are we still putting forward that notion that uh, European descendant Joseph Smith is actually descendant of Joseph? <laughs> really? I mean, come on. The fact that Joseph actually had the audacity to put a prophecy about himself in the Book of Mormon, yeah, yeah, that that's kind of uh, arrogance and just another one of those things that really actually proves the Book of Mormon to be a bunch of hooey. Similar to the story of Joseph of Egypt. As weird as it sounds to us today, in my view, Joseph's use of a seer stone falls right in line with ancient Jewish mysticism, also known as Kabbalah, and right in line with other revelatory tools in the Bible. Thus, I'm not too worried about this method of revelation. The real question on everyone's mind should be about the authenticity of the revelation Joseph received. 
Okay, so now if it falls in line with Kabbalah and the majority of of the Jewish Orthodox and um, ethnic Jewish community considers Kabbalah to be a bunch of Hollywood garbage, um, why would you want to align with it? That's really where the rubber meets the road, and I'll let you and God figure that one out. Though a good place to start might be by reading the Book of Mormon. If you want to do that, there's a link in the description along Been with some there. other notes that you can check out. And you guys have a great day. Well, David, uh, fortunately, I have already read the Book of Mormon. And um, I came away, once upon a time, I did come away with a testimony that I thought it was true. I prayed, I had a burning in the bosom, and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized just how false it was based on facts. And I had to start to ignore my feelings. Thank you, Ben Shapiro. And not look at my feelings and, and understand the facts of the, the matter that the Book of Mormon is false. But here, let's, let's kind of give this a, an, another twist. So I read some of Aesop's fables um, the other day. And uh, there was one about a fox that uh, really wanted some grapes. So he started talking to uh, a raven trying to get these grapes and, and the raven helped him out and, and so on and so forth. So what we come away from that is that, that Aesop wrote about talking animals and, um, you know, Bambi has, and Lion King and Disney has a, a bunch of talking animals in their movies. So thus, because of this, that means all of the Disney stories are actual factual things that really, really happen. And um, there really is a, a Pride Rock and a Lion King and Simba, and they all talk and have great conversations and sing wonderful songs. And I'll just leave it at that. So... Hope this was helpful. As always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next week, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm -hmm.